the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 31, recorded Tuesday, November 4th, 2014. It's rectilinear. This is EdTech, the monthly look at the education market for the audiovisual industry. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Welcome. Uh, if you're watching this live, it's election day, so go vote, Americans. If you're in Canada, I have no idea when you're just. Uh, with us, uh, as always, Ernie Bailey from UAMS uh, in the great state of Arkansas. How are you, sir? Tim, I'm doing great. Awesome. Uh, also with us is Greg Brown. Uh, from sunny California, UCLA, go Bears. Yeah, probably le- leading the race for the uh, craziest state pol- political situation. Why is that? Is 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 crazy uh, Gary Jerry? Sacramento's just like basket case of full of idiots and no money and... Yeah. Now, you know, don't don't talk to me about no money. I live in Illinois, all right? <laughs> I live in Illinois who where where our last two governors are still serving time, so... <laughs> this is true. We we don't have that distinction. You don't have that yes. distinction. So, uh, and we have a new guy. So you two be nice to him. Uh, his name is Mike Tomei. Uh, he is from Ithaca College, uh, and I can't spell Ithaca apparently in the email I sent everyone. So, how are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, tell folks a little bit about yourself or about Ithaca, if you would please. Sure. Um, Ithaca College is a private college in Central New York. We have about. 6,700 students. Um, we have about 300 different, I would say, spaces or rooms on campus that have uh, AV installed, so we keep pretty busy. My job is to um, uh, handle system design and project management for uh, all of our AV installs. We use installers for the actual installations. And um, before I worked at Ithaca, I worked at uh, Harvard University for seven years in uh, their largest AV support department. And uh, I'm the father of two boys, a two-year-old and a two-month-old, so I keep super busy with yeah. that. And um, most importantly, I've never missed an episode of this podcast. So. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's very yeah. impressive. My, my, Mike is our dedicated listener. He is the one. Yes, the, the dedicated listener. The, dedicated. the one. <laughs> well, and, and I will say that I, I think I think Silverman started listening after he got off the show. So we have two. <laughs> I, really? I don't know. I I like to think so. I mean, I've never asked him point blank. <laughs> I have called him a couple times. Uh, I'm digressing. He he works for Crestron now, and I've called him a couple times about some stuff. So anyhow, uh, all right, let's kick this and off. And he returns your calls. He, he does return my calls. Does he not? Does he not return your calls? I, I emailed him a time or two, but I think he's upset with me about, well, we won't go there. What on earth could he, you, you, you took over the technology oh. manager's council and saved him from that fate. What on earth could he possibly be upset with you? <laughs> oh, never, never mind. mind. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, let's kick this show off. Uh, from Commercial Integrator. AMX Innova DVX passes the JITSI or JITC testing. Uh, long story short on this, and the reason I'm bringing this up, JITC, by the way, if, if you don't know what that is, uh, JITC is the Joint Interoperability Test Command testing uh, put on by the United States government. Uh, long story short, basically means that the Innova can be put into governmental uh, installations and high security governmental installations. Um, the reason I'm, I'm asking and bringing this up on, a, on an education-focused podcast is whether or not it matters for the education market, right? Whether or not something of that level security matters. Uh, so, Ernie, you guys have got uh, UAMS, not for nothing, is U- University of Arkansas for Medical Services. Medical. Anybody ever heard of HIPAA? Uh, so, yes. you know, Ernie's got some, some security uh, issues to contend with. Is this, does this uh, matter for, for guys like you, Ernie? Uh, it does not really matter for us, uh, especially, you know, our, our stuff is all on the education side. I'm not 
that much on the uh, health science side of our campus. Uh, but th this would not be a selling point for me. I mean, it, if I was using the product anyway, if it met my other needs, it, it could be considered a bonus. Yeah. But uh, I don't see it something that our uh, hip office would require or anything like that. So Interesting. Uh, Mr. Brown, you don't have the same security concerns. Um, but kind of like Ernie, um, if, it, if you were already using it, could it be a value added? Or is it just one of those that it's not something that you look at? My, uh, I, I had the opportunity to run this past my, my, my Crestron A-plus rep, and, uh, and she gave me the, the pithy uh, comeback of the week, which was, yeah, well, it still doesn't do 4K, and it's more expensive. Um, okay, so that, here, no, no, hang on. I'm, I'm going to come back with a pithy one. I don't know your, your rep, so. Um, the do you have 4K that you need? I mean, I'm just cool. asking. 4K. I, don't, I, don't get me started. We're we're in the we're back in the technical backwaters of, of of, of progress. Greg is still pushing around VCRs. Just so you know, we're what? <laughs> Greg is still pushing VCRs. We built. We have built one VCRless room now. This summer. Okay, I, I want. I want so, so you're saying that the university, UCLA, like one yes. of the biggest colleges in California, and as we you know, we the biggest states in the union has only one single non meaning one that does not have a vcr in its campus my my group which handles the largest pool of the rooms the general assignment rooms and how many has, of those rooms do you have uh just shy of 200 so one two hundredth of your rooms does not have a vcr in it well, this is a this was a large room purpose built. There are some small rooms. Are there some small rooms without VCRs? Then actually, there may not be anymore. I think yes. I, I think yes. One one of our rooms now we have built without a VCR. We're not yeah. even putting DVD players in anymore. Yeah. See. Yeah, we're we're not. Yeah, like I said, we're 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 kind of. We're kind of dog paddling in the technical backwaters here. Um, you so, know. so this security level does not concern you is what you're saying. <laughs> security, what's security? Exactly. Security, 4K, who cares? The, the, the VCR is still there the next morning. That's security. <laughs> it's actually probably not much of a theft target anymore. No, probably not the DVD <laughs> no. player either, to, to Ernie's point. Yeah. Well, actually, they're, they're nice combo decks, to be honest. Oh, well, there you go. All right, um, Mike. We're going to give you your first crack here. Uh, does this level of security uh, concern either you guys at Ithaca or any other? You also said you worked at Harvard, so I, I would imagine that you know someplace on that campus they they would care about security. Yeah, probably more so at Harvard. I would say um, at Ithaca we just don't have any programs that require that kind of security. Um, it looked pretty locked down when I was reading about it. They don't allow that device to go on the network. It's really kind of a standalone unit. So I guess you could put any old piece of baby equipment standalone in a room, and it's as secure as what they're saying. So, it's, um, but not something that we really seek out that level of security. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. On uh, on AV Week last week, I, I brought this same story up, and. Um, Something that a control manufacturer's rep told me oh, about a year or so ago um, that uh, we don't need to worry about security uh, because nobody wants to, to break into, hack into, you know, a processor. I said that, and uh, the host of our new show, POE, Tony Zotti, balked at that. He said, you know what, if it's got an RJ40, if it's, if it's on the network, somebody somewhere is going to get bored or wants to hack into it. So, you know, to Mike's point, yeah, that's one way to keep it secure is to keep it off the network. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we um, uh, were working with our IT folks to figure out some, some weird anomalies we were getting, and uh, they gave us a, um, basically a, a run of the things that were pinging some of our, uh, our devices, and um, there was all sorts of stuff coming from, like, China and North Korea and stuff like that that was like you know hitting our hitting our gear wasn't wasn't able to do anything but it was like hey is there some is there something here we can mess with yeah 
Yeah. Um, it was actually kind of kind of weird to follow some of the some of the uh, IP addresses back to, you know, weird North Korean sites and things like that. Hmm. Interesting. Somewhat yeah. disconcerting. It is a little disconcerting, you know. And and as you know, here's the thing: as as the internet gets bigger and bigger, and and more and more of our things gets put online, we need to worry about security. Um, I did disagree, uh, you know, to to the rep that told me that, and I said, you know, you you guys really probably should consider, you know, some sort of encryption, right? Some sort of of security measures, because as 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 they try to get into other markets, right? They try to you know handle HVAC, they try to handle lighting, they try to handle security. A lot of them can. Um, it becomes a target, right? And, and a lot of you know AMX crest on a number of them. Are going after you know whole building automation, right? Right. That has to be secure. I'm sorry, you have to have some yeah, level of yeah. security on that. Yeah. Um, now, yes, getting it getting it off of the internet and, and just keeping it, you know, in house is is one way. But you know, eventually somebody somewhere is going to be able to, to hack into it. Yeah, I, I don't think this JITC really has has is much of an issue as far as higher ed goes. But I think it's a I think it's a good move. You know, anytime you see a, a company like this that's 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 you know making that little extra effort to kind of you know carry the banner forward of in this case you know security and 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 that aspect you know it's a good thing. So I, I you know I poke fun at them, but I think it's a good move on their part. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, moving on. Panasonic has a a new ultra short throw lens. Uh, this is. The ultra short throw is something that has uh, kind of come into uh, into vogue uh, the last few years because let's be honest, there's nothing. There are a few things worse than standing in front of a classroom and having you know the the wonderful projector bulb shine through your head. Uh, the one thing about this though, and, and Greg shot me this, and we'll start with him on this. Let's see if I can I can't share it. Uh, it only goes on really big projectors. Um, it, it's for large venue projectors. It really is. Uh, I was at an AVI Systems event in October and actually got to see this in in, in action. And the footprint of the projector, um, it was um, well, it was it was a large venue projector. So you know, it, and you know, um, that that size was was very interesting. Sitting on the ground, shooting up at, at this at this mm-hmm. screen. Uh, so, Greg, is this is it a good move forward? Do you think maybe this is something that they're putting out there, uh, hopefully, to kind of work into their smaller stuff? Uh, they already have small short throws. I think this fills yeah. a really interesting niche in that, um, you know, one of the problems if you do short throw projectors, and I struggled with this in a project just recently, is they're generally small and dim. They're they're little they're little throwaway projectors. Generally, there's very little on the fancy end, or on the you know brighter, more more um, you know nicer projector end. In fact, I did I did something here I haven't done in like sixteen or seventeen years. I installed a Sony video projector. Wow! Last month, yeah, yeah. When I when I got here 17 years ago, we were, you know, a sea of Sony three-gun CRTs, and you know, next thing you know, poof, they're all gone, and they're all, you know, we all went to LCDs and uh, LCOS and stuff like that, and um, DLP, and uh, and and Sony really was just, you know, Sony. Sony made crappy projectors for a lot of years in there. Let's cut to the chase. But um, the reason I went with the Sony was it was bigger and brighter than anything else out there. It also had um, uh, horizontal and vertical adjustment, which is almost which is literally not available in in virtually any other um, short throw projector. It was a Wonderful projector, of course. You know, no, no sooner did I buy one than they discontinued that model. Um, but you know, there goes Sony again. Um, but I, I, I give Panasonic a lot of credit for this because, yeah, this goes into like you know four, five, six thousand lumen projectors, and if you need to do something big and bright from a short distance. And you know that can make you know some of these auditorium installs a whole lot easier when you're not out there, you know, 20 feet above above the seats trying to, you know, do some sort of lift escapade. 
Um, so I give them a lot of credit for doing this. You know, I wish we had more stuff like this out there. I hope yeah. they sell a good number of them. Yeah, because make it worthwhile. Absolutely, because then they won't discontinue it. Uh, exactly. Mike, is this something? Are our short throws something that you guys are starting to do at Ithaca? No. Well, you know, I think the only short throws that I, that I buy are on uh, interactive whiteboards. Okay. So they're small, you know, thirty-five hundred lumen projectors. And I agree that these are are placed on their seven thousand lumen projectors that they have, which we have a few of these in our large lecture halls. We don't use the short throw lens though, and um, I just couldn't really see a need for having that bright of a projector at that short of a throw. Um, but I could see it being used in, like, say, museums where you have people standing right in front of uh, what you're hoping to project, or um, digital signage where you need a much brighter projector at a short throw there. Um, but, you know, I've always, everyone's experienced this with short throws. You really need an extremely flat surface to project onto because of the angle the light is hitting the screen. And um, this is an extremely short throw, so you must really, really need a, a flat surface. So I can't see it. Uh, you'd have to have some sort of um, tension screen or a flat wall uh, that you're projecting onto for this to really work. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to bring – We, uh, you know, I think we mentioned this last time. I'm doing a project for – or my company's doing a project for Ernie, and I'm going to bring that project in here. Ernie has a, a big uh, lecture hall. He has – three of them that we're doing, but one of them is rather big. He has two huge projectors, very large venue projectors. Uh, so, Ernie, in that space, is this something that would make a little more sense where you could, because of the distance between the projector and the screen, you could maybe come down a lumen or two um, if you're doing a short throw, or does it, or does that not make sense? Because to Mike's point, it has to be a very flat screen. It would have to be more of a tension yeah, it screen. It would have to be a flat screen, and we do not have a tension screen in that room. And, you know, we're project we have an ultra-wide screen for dual images. So uh, we've, we learned early on that it's not a uh, stable screen at all times. Uh, a little bit of wind movement, you know, air handling kick in a little bit wrong and the screen starts swaying and that that would be amplified with the short throw uh, lens like you're talking about there. Uh, the other two lecture halls that you're doing for me, you know, we have shorter throw lenses but we're still folding with mirrors on rear projection. Uh, that might be an application for this but uh, I still prefer doing it the old-fashioned way with the mirrors. Uh, to fold the image and make it use a little bit longer lens. They're a little bit more forgiving, easier to work with. So, uh, you know, I, I like seeing them come out with a lens that'll work in more than one projector. I go back to the days of slide projectors. I'm sure Greg's probably about to putting slide projectors in classrooms now. Is that right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, it didn't matter what brand slide projector you bought. You, you know, you the same the lenses were interchangeable and the lamps were interchangeable you know you had a slide projector lamp and it worked in the Kodak it worked in the Elmo it worked in the Bell and Howell it worked in the Singer and the lenses would work in all of them as well uh, and you know there were several manufacturers of, of uh, lenses that you could get depending on what quality you wanted I, I wish we would see that again in the projector market especially in the medium range projectors, but I've, I've screamed that for 20 years, so it's, we're not going to get it. Well, they uh, some some brands do that across their line. I mean, we are a, not, not to shill for Panasonic, there are some other companies also that are doing this, but we have a lot of Panasonics, and um, both are small and are mid-size projectors, so you're talking, what, four and six thousand lumens. Um, the lamps lenses and filters of the current models are backwards compatible with the ones used for the previous model or actually not completely the the lamps you buy for the newer projectors will also work in the older projectors they're a little bit different uh, lamp um, so I, I've seen some companies move in that direction and I think that's a start the, the one application where I saw 
I don't know where it was, but where I saw this short throw projector used, it was a it was a retrofit install in an auditorium where you had you had boards, you know, down at board level. You had a screen up above it, and what it let them do was put the projector on the wall above the boards, project up onto the onto the screen, such that your projector is mounted at like nine feet fixed on the wall, as opposed for, to you know suspended over the audience somewhere. Much simpler install. Yeah. Is that one of those things where it's it's more um, oh uh, uh, like a the chalkboard is down here at the bottom, and then the the screen is above it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, I think it was a fixed. I think it was a, a like a, a framed screen fixed on the wall type install. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Uh, all right, let's move on to the cloud and not the 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 ethereal little you know prog programming cloud. Uh, but it's we don't have any clouds out here. It's sunny all know, the time. You know what, Mike? <laughs> okay, so Mike, you said you've listened to every episode. Yes. This is what we have to put up with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we're buried in snow here or 20 degrees, it's always hard to hear. <laughs> well, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Although I, okay, this is this is okay. This is my big, stupid, dumb American dub Midwesterner. How close to uh, to the north? How how far up north is Ithaca? It's a dead center of the state, pretty much. So oh, okay. we're just south of Syracuse. Okay, very yeah. good. Everybody yeah. hears New York, and they think we're, you know, close to New York City, but not well, very. No, there's Buffalo, there's no. Syracuse, there's, there's actual farms in New York that you know, people don't know about. We're in farm country, yeah. So. I actually grew up south of Rochester. Yeah, I thought right. you grew so, up in, Can I, in California. No, no, I, I am a native cow. I was born out here, but then I... I didn't I, know you grew up. The, <laughs> oh, geez. As, as much as I have, part of it was done in upstate New York. So I, I know what that fluffy white stuff that comes in the winter is is like. Well, we have that's some that's why he lives there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's why I live here. <laughs> I have shoveled snow. All right. No, I was wondering because, you know, when, since Mr. Tyner has left us, I didn't know how far north we were able to get. So, yeah, that's good. Dog sledding yeah. jokes will now be made at Mike's expense. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, all right. So the cloud, the cloud uh, is, is a product. Uh, is a cloud forty. It's uh, the cloud uh, four zone integrated mixer amplifier. Uh, it actually reminds me of an Ashley product that they came out with a few years ago. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, and Ernie, we'll start with you. When you've got areas like um let's say a tiered classroom right and you know you've got speakers the speakers are, are kind of going up here and you've got different uh distances i guess is the best way to put this uh between the audience and the speaker you obviously have to have different audio levels uh so is this kind of all-in-one product where you've got a mixer and the amplifier and everything all built in or do you guys prefer really to kind of break things out and have kind of an audio processor which actually feeds your amplifier which then feeds your speaker i would much prefer to have a dsp in the system i see too many user accessible knobs for a system like what you were just talking about mm -hmm. uh it's not going to last you know your settings are not going to last the money you spend in engineering is going to be gone as soon as you know somebody comes in and bumps it or decides to play or hey i can make it sound better uh, we've all had technicians like that that I know they paid the engineer, but I think I can improve it a little bit and just start turning a couple of knobs and throws the whole system off. I want it all done inside the box. Okay. Uh, Mike, for as far as your guys' rooms, do you, and, and does it depend whether or not, obviously, you, you've got a conference room or a large lecture hall or maybe even a smaller classroom um, where something like this would make sense or, or kind of like Ernie? where you would rather have an actual dedicated DSP that then feeds everything else? I think in a classroom or a lecture hall, I would just um, put a DSP in there, um, make it much easier on the support end of things. Uh, I agree, too many knobs. Um, I think we would probably use something like this maybe in our dining halls, where they need some multi-zone audio. Um, it's not a crucial situation where if somebody makes an adjustment, it's, you know, it's not like class isn't going to happen. Um, and it's cheaper than putting a DSP in there and uh, some sort of a control surface for them. Um, actually, our health center, they want to do multi-zone audio for, they have three or four different waiting rooms. 
uh, that students go and, and wait in before they see doctors and nurses. So they want to do some multi-zone. Something like this might work in there just for music playback. But in a classroom, I would put a DSP in there. And, um, you know, if you really need to, you know, tap 70-volt speakers at different wattages to get different levels, something along those lines. But I probably wouldn't use it in the classroom. Okay. All right, uh, Mr. Brown, you're the last word on this. Uh, is this an all-in-one system like this make sense for you guys? Once again, bringing up the uh, the old school contingent. Ah, uh, yes. Um, re representing the old school contingent. Hey, I like I like my knobs. You don't like knobs? They're these things called security covers and tamper-proof hardware. Um, we're we're using something like this. Um, we we aren't using this particular uh, uh, mixer amplifier. We're using a separate amplifier and zone mixer. Um, because we're using it for something you guys are completely not thinking about. Um, you know, we have to think out of the box a lot of times. And what we, we ended up with here, and yet in retrospect, this was something we, we came up with a few years ago. In, if we had to do it again today, yeah, I'd look long and hard at DSP. I'm a, a DSP box of, of some sort, although I'm willing to bet this is probably cheaper than a DSP box and an amplifier. Um, what what we ended up with was in in a lot of rooms where we we had not only our um, mono PA and our stereo program, um, we also had to deliver a uh, line output feed for instructors such that they could plug in and record. We had our feed to our podcasting and webcasting systems, and we also had the feed to the infrared hearing assist. And we ended up with a situation where we had to be able to pull out some of the sources from some of those because we, you know, like we we didn't want to record like um, you know VCR and DVD material into the webcast material because there's licensing issues, things like that. We had to come up with all these different, possibly come up with all these different permutations of what had to be in what mix, and so we went with a four-zone mixer because it gave us the little dip switches such that we could very easily tick in or out a particular source in a room if we needed to change the the mix in a particular setup in a particular uh, room for that quarter and it's worked out really well it's given us a lot of flexibility and you know been a really good situation like I said yeah we'd probably look long and hard at DSP today but uh, you know it was it was. It's been inexpensive, reliable, and worked well. You know, I can't complain. I think it's a neat product. Yeah, niche product, but a neat product. I was. I'm as you're describing this. I'm thinking, okay, that would take me about two seconds, maybe three, in a DSP program. Uh, yeah. However, uh, to your point, it, it doesn't allow a lot of flexibility because you either have to create a bunch of presets or exactly. hire somebody to come in every semester and, and reprogram it. So. And, and you know, three or years ago or so when we were doing this, we didn't have any sort of familiarity with, with DSP at all. I since have gotten a little bit, haven't haven't actually programmed one, but I'd I'd be willing to give it a try. But yeah, like you said, you know, it's it, it's a it's aimed at a little bit different type of application than what we did. The little dip switches work out fine for us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh from uh uh, uh higher ed tech decisions. Uh, the SIA and the NSCA are uh, putting together new guidelines for school safety. And uh, if you're not familiar with what the NSCA is or the SIA, Security and Industry Association, uh, and NSCA is obviously the National Systems Contractors Association. They're putting together some stuff for to, to help guidelines for electronics uh, security and, and life safety in schools. Uh, so we'll go around the horn here and see what do they need to include. Right. Uh, what is it uh, from your guys' experience and, and your standpoint? Uh, what is it that you we need to make sure that they you know, they don't forget about? Um, uh, Ernie, from your standpoint, for for life safety um, and for you know school security, uh, what what should they make sure that they they include in some of these guidelines? Well, uh, excuse me. It looks like they're looking mostly at um, K twelve programs here. So if that's where you're going. Uh, 
you know, door security, uh, monitors, uh, but an issue we're starting, we're, you know, seeing here recently is uh, they're putting cameras on school buses, you know, for catching people passing stop school buses. Uh, we've had two children killed uh, this semester in the mm. state of Arkansas. Uh, and it's really leading to a big push to put uh, monitor cameras and uh, automatic prosecution rules in place for any car passing a school bus. But they, they've got to be able to track it. You know, you can't just take the bus driver's word and, you know, seven, seven cars passed me today and I got three of the license plates. doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I think something like that uh, for student safety is good. But and like I said, you know, we you need cameras, monitors at doors, magnetic uh, latches, things like that. You know, those are things that I kind of think about. Uh, we have classrooms that we can lock down. You know, if we on our campus, if uh, there's word of an active shooter, we can hit a button in some of our lecture halls. It will lock the doors. Nobody can get uh, in. You can. Uh, you can get out if you have to, but, but nobody can get in without a key, uh, and the and the release being let go. It, it's a it grabs the door so they lock. Uh, we don't have it in all of our rooms. We do have it in some, but you know, so, something like that. I think is if you're looking at the technology side of it. Where do they? Uh, where do you initiate that that lockdown button from? Is it from inside the uh, classroom? Inside the classroom, we have two buttons in the classrooms. In fact, two of the rooms that your team is working on for us right now, we have one button beside the uh, lectern on the wall right behind the lectern and one right by the main uh, entrance doors. So uh, a student can get up and push it real quick if they if the announcement was made. Okay. All right, uh, Mike, from your standpoint, what are, what are some of the things that the, that the NSCA should make sure they don't miss uh, for, on these guidelines? I guess on the... AV end of things, obviously, um, emergency messaging in, in the classrooms using existing AV systems or digital signage, um, that sort of thing. We don't do uh, a lot of that at the moment. We're getting our digital signage network up and running uh, in the near future. But, um, but there's a lot. Uh, it's very hard because there's a lot of different contractors that um, are involved. You have AV contractors, electricians, life safety or security contractors. So when new buildings are being built, a lot of different building management systems or AV remote management systems are put into place and there's not a lot of integration between them. So it's always hard to, um, to uh, integrate those systems and have emergency messaging that's simple to use in a, in a situation. Is that something where, because I ran into that when I was a technology manager with, you have all these different um, systems, right? They had a system that would, that would, text people that system that would you know flash up on the screen on the on the on the the desktop in the classroom how do you think we go about um greg will kick it off with you in this one how do you how do we go about making sure that all these disparate um technologies and all these disparate uh integrators kind of get together and say hey let's let's come up with one good solid system here that is simple to use like mike said um but is able to contact everybody at, at one fell swoop. I think this is why we're going to see a real growth in standards going down the road. I think the only way to fix a lot of these problems is, is literally is to beat a lot of these people into submission. Um, you know, it's something I, I've been involved. I've, I've mentioned the standard I've been involved with uh, the AV and IT infrastructure guidelines for higher education, coming either here the end of the year or the beginning of next year. Um, and and yeah, it's it's something we've talked and gone around with a lot. There are so many things that go on in any project where. Uh, you know, the left hand doesn't talk to the right, you know, the fingers don't talk to one another. Everybody is off in their own direction and, and, and do little, their little part and don't talk with uh, the other people they need to. I mean, I, I, I liked Mike's answer, but yeah, you know, same thing here with, we, we have digital signs all over the place and it's literally coordinated by the department that owns that particular section of wall and you can you can walk down a corridor and you'll see three or four different monitors and they're all three or four different makes and they're all three or four different um, you know makes of monitors and makes of mounts and um, 
doing completely different things or not doing things. I think um, I think right now my personal the the personal record for outdated digital signage on 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 campus right now is a little over three years. Wow. There, there is a, a series of digital signs over North Campus that are still running material from the fall of 2011. Hmm. So, um, but but is it God still relevant? Us. I mean, you know, you don't have to change it every semester, do you? Well, yeah, there, but there's there's a there's a time limit to how much you how useful this sort of stuff is. This is like dated, you know, uh, apply for these certain things by oh, this I got you. sort of not stuff. Just, you know, it's, it's not like you know the 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 crawlers or the slideshow of you know scientific developments running over in the engineering hall or something like that, which yeah doesn't doesn't change nearly as fast or isn't as time sensitive. It's it's applying for particular uh, events and things like that for three years ago yeah. so you know they're, they're pretty much almost graduated now by by now if that uh, that sign applied to them originally mm. yeah. all right uh, okay. all right uh, on that same subject um, we looked at it several years ago as far as using the AV systems for the life safety and uh, you know storm warnings things like that uh, but the deal is it has to work every time. And, you know, what if students are studying in a classroom and the system's turned off? They're not going to get the message at that point unless it turns on the system and waits for it then runs it. So, excuse me, you run into a lot of issues like that. Uh, the same reason we have, take, we have decided not to put the uh, paging announcements that come up through the overhead speakers through the AV systems in the classrooms. But we have a separate speaker. In, in every classroom that covers any type of life safety announcement or anything like that. Uh, they're totally, completely se uh, separate systems so that, you know, there is one group that's responsible for any type of messaging that goes out. And it's separate and it works whether the AV system's up or down, uh, classes in place or not, it still comes comes through. So that, that's one thing you have to think about is if you're going to use your AV system, you have to have 100% reliability of it, or you're liable uh, for the people who don't get the message because your system failed. Yeah, you know, I've 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 told the joke about how we spent probably millions of dollars for the this this voice of God system, you know, these these speakers on select buildings around campus to to broadcast at high volume. Of, uh, alerts out to the, the the campus overall, and they are almost in unintelligible from every location except for like you know right out in front of the particular building that the uh, the speakers are on. So so the running joke here is we'll have something like a shooter and and the the speakers will be broadcasting something, and we'll all run outside to to hear what the speakers are saying and got shot. Nice. Uh, that actually is one of the things that they're looking at uh, when they're updating those standards is intelligibility. Yes. It's not just quote-unquote coverage. It's intelligibility, and you've got these electrical contractors now that are looking at this standard going, what the heck is intelligibility? I thought I just uh, had to have so many dB for so many feet, and now they, they're having to work with that. So. Oh, yeah, you can, you can hear them, but, you know, I sit here in my office and go, oh, 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 oh. You know, it's like great big brick buildings all on a nice rectilinear pattern. You know, the, the, the rever reverb is fantastic. It, it distorts everything. You know, you can't understand a darn thing they say. A rectilinear, rectic rectic rectilinear. I think I think that's the right okay. word, too. I don't know how I, I stumbled upon that, but, you know, even a, even a broken clock is right twice a day. I... <laughs> And this was my minute. I was going to say, I wouldn't give you twice a day. I'll give you once, maybe. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, from our old buddy Scott Tyner uh, on, on the Rave Pubs blog. Room view connected displays. Uh, and I wanted to bring this up because this is one of the things that, you know, I, I do. I, I, I program restaurant systems. I used to sell them. I used to install them in my classrooms. I have long history with restaurant. With this is one of those things, though, that, that kind of that gets me. 
you've got, uh, and, and Scott writes about how he was one of the first people to use RoomView, and if you're not familiar with what RoomView is, RoomView is Crestron's, it's Fusion now, but RoomView is Crestron's asset management software. Extron has one, AMX has one, a number of people have them. And Crestron has done a very good business uh, model where they've gone to display manufacturers and said, hey, here's, some, here's our secret sauce code, right? Uh, put this in your display, and you can just jack into our room view software, right? Uh, our asset management software, which is great uh, if you have a Crestron system and if you have room view. Um, so, Mike or, or Greg, we'll start with you on this. If you don't have that, um, you know, it, or, or like I guess I'd say, if you if you don't have any asset management. Would something like this RoomView uh, installed, I guess, or RoomView inside or Crestron inside type display, um, would that entice you to either purchase that display or look at Crestron's asset management system? Wow. If you don't have any sort of asset management system, I think you are probably one of those, part of one of those AV departments that I expect is going to be uh, taken over by somebody else in the not too distant future. Uh, the 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 systems are just getting uh, much more complicated. Uh, we mentioned uh, building management systems and stuff like that. All of this stuff is going. You, AV, the 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 line between AV and uh, occupancy and energy management, the temperature, the lights. All, all of these lines are just going to continue to blur over the next few years. And if you, if you aren't involved with something as basic as asset management, you know I think somebody's going to eat your lunch here in the next few years. Um, and and it it also ties in with with I think what we talked about in the last show or two that um, uh, you know these these program control systems. They, they aren't that bad. Speaking from a school that navigated this transition from, you know, configurable control systems to uh, programmed control systems. Not that there's anything bad with the configured ones. They have their place, you know, generally in small offline rooms, I think. Um, program systems are becoming, you know, de rigueur they're not it's it's not that bad it's you know if you're if you're not doing program systems and you're listening to how bad they are by a company that doesn't sell programmed systems yeah well you know consider your source you know you you need to kind of get your head out of the sand and and learn this sort of stuff and get with the program okay all right, Mike. Uh, from your standpoint, you know, to, and, and Greg uh, alluded to this. I mean, is this, is asset management to the point where would, where is it to to the point where if you have X number of rooms or if you're X size of an AV uh, department, do you need this? I mean, is this something that is a necessity at this point? Um, no. I mean, I'm kind of in, in the same mindset as Greg. Um, you know that if people are if they don't have anything set up for remote management, um, they're prob this probably won't matter really to them. They're maybe just doing a couple one-offs here and there, um, small rooms. But um, um, but I think I really agree with um, with Scott in that you know I really thought this was just uh, a way for people to um, kind of get these these projectors on to their you know RoomView Express. I really did not. Um, know that it um, could really change your programming using that module, that room view connected module um, within simple to really simplify your programming and, and make uh, projector swaps pretty easy actually. Um, so uh, that was pretty interesting and I'm in the same boat as Greg. We're going through a transition from um, like you said configurable systems to program systems so anything to make uh, the programming end of things easier for us is pretty big because we spend a lot of money uh, paying programmers to make changes for us when we're using a module like this. I think they call it just Crestron connected now, is that right? It's not necessarily room view connected because I have some Panasonic projectors that have that on there um, and um, I'm really going to look into using that module instead of, of um, putting all specific serial strings in. Yeah, and the one thing is um, it, 
they they do say Crestron connected now, but what, years ago it was Roomview uh, connected, and now it's it's got the little uh, Crestron logo. Uh, Ernie, and you guys. Now the, the the program that integrates integrates it all is actually Fusion. Yeah, Fusion is yeah. is the one in that you know Ernie. It's replaced it replaced Roomview yeah. or it's Fusion RV for Roomview. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I mean we're you know we've had uh, Fusion and Roomview before that, and it surprises me that Scott didn't know that. Uh, just knowing Scott and how he how he worked things, but uh, that was one of the selling points when Crestron came and said, you know, we'll we'll work with you on you know developing your system and creating a good uh, management tool, you know, providing room view and all that. They they started out by selling the uh, room view connected as they called it back then, and telling us that when you you know, you program the room to use this module, and then it does. As long as the projectors you buy, or back then it was just projectors. Now they now they have uh, flat panel displays as well that have the uh, Crestron inside or Crestron connected. Um, they said, you know, as long as you have a device with that, you don't have to reprogram. You just tell the projector what its uh, IP ID is and what its IP, what the server's IP. Uh, address is, and it starts working. You know, your controls start working. So, uh, like I said, I was surprised to see that he hadn't been using it in that way because that's we've been doing that for uh, at least five or six years now. Uh, so, you really have to. We, we like it. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Seems like you really have to make a commitment to um, purchasing Crestron connected display devices from that point on. Otherwise. You are going to have to go in and you know right. reprogram and put well, strings and that sort of we, thing. We made that decision at that point, and a lot of our projectors were not. But we said from this point forward, you know, when we put uh, a bid out, even if we say we'll accept sub substitutions or uh, alternates, it must have the Crestron connected. Uh, it must be on the Crestron connected sheet that Crestron provides, or we will not consider that product. And yeah, all of our projectors since then ha have been there. Okay, so it's kind of the way everything's going with HD base T too. You know, you right. if you make that decision to not have a, a room controller and go directly into a display with HD base T, you you're kind of committed to that unless you really cut the room. So well, yeah. that, that's the uh, I'm going to ask this question and play devil's advocate here. What's the danger, I, I guess, of of putting all of your eggs in, in one manufacturer's basket. And this is something that we've talked about on this show before, where, you know, you start going down a certain control road, right? And then again, whether that's AMX or Crestron or whoever, when you start, when you make the investment in that asset management software, right, you right. are making a commitment to that manufacturer, right? Whether it's RMS from AMX or, or, or Fusion from, from Crestron, you're saying... I've got. I'm. I'm. I'm giving you guys everything I've got because honestly, um, you know, if, if you have room, if you have fusion, let's say, and you do have, you know, a dozen or so AMX rooms, unless you've got a really, really, really good programmer uh, that knows the back end of AMX, you're not getting that inside fusion, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, what what is? And Ernie, we'll start with you on this. What's the danger then of of Going, you know, putting putting your faith, I guess, in all in in one manufacturer. Well, I mean, you are putting your faith in that one manufacturer. You're counting on them uh, staying in business mm -hmm. uh, and uh, keeping their products current and providing a path for you to be able to keep your systems current. That they as they upgrade their management tool. Uh, that it still will talk to the their older equipment, and their older equipment will continue to work with the systems until you upgrade it. Uh, but at the same time, they're also providing the multiple, or I guess any display manufacturer that wants to work with them, uh, the software and maybe some hardware, I don't know, that goes into their device so they will talk to each other, but it allows us to, you know, we're not one product from start to finish, but we have things that are designed to talk to each other and to work together. Uh, 
So, I mean, any anytime you go with a management system uh, that's going to take over your whole system, you're going to uh, be facing the same dangers of, you know, what happens if they go out of business. Yeah. So is there, um, Mike, we'll, we'll ask you the same question. I mean, what, what are those, what are some of the dangers of, of doing this, of, of putting your, uh, putting everything in one manufacturer? I, well, over the past few years, like I said, we've been switching over to a more of a, um, programmable, you know, Crestron based system. And, um, I, I feel like we did the research in the beginning to develop our standards, and I'm fine putting my eggs in one basket because um, if I can get that support across the entire system, um, everybody's been in that situation where a manufacturer points a finger at another piece of gear built by somebody else in that system and says, well, there's your problem. But if that projector has Crestron-connected um, features to it, uh, and for some reason you're having a problem with the control system talking to it, well, now we're all in the same boat here because uh, we're supposed to be able to have that functionality with that projector. So it makes that troubleshooting a little bit easier. So I think if you just do your research in the beginning and develop your standards properly, I have no problem going down that road. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right, Mr. Brown. Uh, last you know, the last one uh, on this one. Uh, is it is it okay to go down this road and and give them uh, give them everything you got? Well, um, I I think we don't to to some extent we we don't have a choice. I mean, we are right now running two parallel systems, uh, Global Viewer Enterprise and and Fusion, and so and we probably will be for. You know, the for foreseeable a foreseeable number of years, you know, until we retire all of our Extron equipment. But uh, you know, that's not going to happen overnight, and um, and and we've just kind of resigned ourselves to our 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 fence straddling uh, strategy of of supporting two for the time being. It's 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 a nuisance, but amongst all the other nuisances that we typically deal with on a day to day basis. There are worse nuisances. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the only thing I'm I'm going to ask is is and this is a general question. It's 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 a rhetorical question. I don't expect an answer. Uh, it, it, would it be nice if oh they would allow you a way out, right? A, a pathway to mi migrate from one to the other, and I, and I don't know quite how that would work. And I know my friends at AMX and my friends at Creston are both cringing at that thought. Uh, but there was a point in time when a couple of other um, room management software, uh, uh, asset management software manufacturers, were saying that we don't care who you use. We don't care who the control system is. We will talk to anybody. Uh, and they were smaller companies, and they were trying to make a foothold in, in the industry. Um, still out there. There's still, you know, there's a couple still out there. And, and I, I just wish that, that the bigger players would say, you know, we don't care who your control system is. You know, give us give us a day, or, or here's a module. You know, we, we can talk to anybody. You, you know, you, you gotta you gotta realize that to to some extent, none of these companies have your best interest in mind. All of these companies want you as their customer and only their customer, yeah. and they've they've got you by the proverbial short hairs, and they want to keep you there, and so. As as much as 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 rosy and as wonderful as that world would be, um, I I don't see anything like that happening. You know these, you know one of these companies won't even show up to world's largest trade show at this point. You know you think they're going to work with one of the other companies in in any way, shape, or form? No, they're only going to do what. All of these companies are really only going to do what benefits themselves. Yeah, I mean they, they are. Yeah. go ahead. Uh, okay, what I was going to say is uh, on that line, I have expected for years and would still love to see the third-party company not writing the software or anything like that, but come up with the interface box so mm -hmm. that my uh, room view system will talk to the AMX controller in one of my older classrooms. Uh, and get all the feedback that it needs and provide the control that it needs. But, you know, we, have, we haven't seen that yet. But I think that would we would come closer to seeing that than 
having uh, AMX, Crestron, Extron make an interface unit themselves that would talk to the other's control system. So you're saying like a, a like a, a third party beyond yeah, these guys a black who box, yeah, know, a yeah. black box that, that that talks both. Yeah, almost like a right. translator. So. Exactly. All right. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, last story here, and it's more just a hey, this is kind of cool because Ernie said this was happening, and it is. Crestron <laughs> is shipping the DMPS three. The DMPS three. So, in case you're wondering, or in case you're fo- as you're following along, the MPS came out. Oh, good lord, seven, eight years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and then the DMPS it came out, and then now it's the DMPS three. Uh, that is the three series processor of the DMPS line. Uh, the Pro 3 and AV3 and the MC3 came out about a year or so ago, started shipping, and the 3 Series of the DM, uh, the DMPSs are, are shipping now. Uh, and one young man on this panel is actually getting ready to order one. Isn't that right, mister? <laughs> That's right. I don't know how young two. I am, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, two. Two, two, yeah. Two, yes. Uh, it's a double classroom. We'll be using those um, as the primary switcher as well as the control system for a larger switch in the back of the room and handling the video conferencing in the room so yeah i'm interested uh, to see you i'll be interested i'm i'm kind of excited and kind of nervous at the same time because they say it's going to start shipping in two weeks uh the one that i'm looking at we're looking actually at the dmps 3-150 which is actually a 4k device as well so i'll have 4k to my switch anyway, not any, not any further than, than the uh, matrix switcher, but uh, it's a first step. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're I'm I'm gonna be ordering a, a DMPS three one fifty, also in the not too distant future. For um, I don't know whether we talked about that or not. That's that's a fairly trick little device that gets you. That, that gives you some nice alternatives in in smaller rooms than you really yeah. had before. It's a little one rack unit device. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a real smart move on their part, I think. And this is a fair. This is a, you know, it's a twenty person, twenty twenty five person, computer lab. So it's a fairly small uh, venue. I would consider some other equipment for it, some other more basic stuff equi- uh, for it. But it's got. Uh, two larger sister labs next door, which are going to be built out probably this summer that are going to require things like the 300s and stuff like that. And I just want to keep everything, you know, nice and compatible rather than, you know, I, I don't need three different control systems in three different rooms. Much oh, less why rooms. not? Yeah. Makes life oh, interesting. Yeah. For, variety is the spice of life. That right? is exactly it. Variety yeah. is the spice of life. All right, guys, uh, that will do it uh, for this month. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Mike Tomei. Mike is from Ithaca College. Thank you, sir. Yes, thanks for having me on. Uh, where Ithaca can people, do you do you write? Do you tweet? Do you do anything? You know. uh, if people want to find me, they can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. All right, very good. Uh, also mm-hmm. with us is Greg Brown uh, from UCLA. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Greg is also the chairperson, at least currently, of the Technology Managers Council. Uh, apparently they're looking for a replacement, so we're all going to nominate Mike. Um, and <laughs> where can people find you, sir? Uh, me, uh, LinkedIn, and uh, at AV Greg for uh, Twitter. And I will be returning back to uh, Infocom All Voices here soon, as soon as I finish up my my uh, my uh, standards task force uh, uh, obligation. Yes. And uh, and also blog here on uh, AV Nation at some point here in the I hope not too distant future. Just, so just send it to me, dude. Just send send it to yeah, me. Yeah, as soon as I get a free moment. Yeah, good, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, all right. Last but not least, Ernie Bailey from UAMS in Arkansas. Thank you, sir. I'm glad to be here. And where can people find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't try looking for me i'm not very interesting i tweet about football and stuff so uh but go by the website if you would please avnation.tv avnation.tv you'll find this program and a host of others i made mention that we have a new program we have two actually one is uh, hosted by tony zotti talking about av networking uh 
very, very smart show. Uh, I, I got uh, the chance and the ple- pleasure to sit behind the scenes of the first one, and I learned an incredible amount. Uh, and then also our old buddy Phil Cordell, Hi-Fi, is doing the technology rap. Uh, if you are a fan of the rap genre and a fan of AV News, give him a listen or a view uh, every week. Uh, he'll take about two minutes of your time, and he will rap. Yes, he will rap the AV News of the week. Uh, so check out that first episode from last week. It was very cool. So uh, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been EdTech.